dating, dreams, yes. and drinking. Yes. It's like a full night out. <laughs> I think if we were doing it as a full night out, it might go dating, drinking, dreams, wouldn't yeah. it? Or, dating, drinking, indeed, dreaming. dreams, <laughs> drinking, dating. Do you have a well, dream of your true love? No, or drinking, dreams, dating. Because you have a drink, then you have a crazy dream about going on a date. Should I open my dream file? Huh? Like, should <laughs> Will you I be able be, to close should it? Should I be recalling a particularly funny, <laughs> funny Pandora's dream? Or where is your dream file? <laughs> In my briefcase. <laughs> a is for anything. B for baby blue. C is classy, clams and clogs. D for doggy doos. T is easy. F for flange. E for gammon. H for ham. I for idiot. You're an idiot. I'm an idiot. Jerry. K is kooky. L for lads. Lager ladies. Lads, lads, lads. M for mummy. M for knock knock. Who's there? Pee pee hoo. U for QRST. U for ugly. V for Venus. W for W. X is hard to comprehend. Why can't I just reach the end? Z for zebra. Zink and zany. Spaglioni. Zip zucchini. Zoom and zoom and zippelin too. The alphabet is really cool. Well, if you're both ready, I'll just crack on. Yeah, go on then. Yeah. So we're embarking on D this week. And to kick us off, I will be discussing the topic of dating, which I know I did break up. So it's like, whatever, I'm obsessed, but I'm not. (laughs) And what I'm going to do is run you through a brief histoire of dating, which you'll both really know. But what, like, you're dating no oh (laughs) that would be very brief (laughs) and then give you some fun facts and then you guys can tell me about your dates fabulous if big question mark dating as we think of it now is actually quite a recent phenomenon phenomenon and it kind of emerged as a concept in the last couple of centuries all to do with family and marriage and, and social standing and all that kind of thing absolutely nothing to do with love really whatsoever and because the institutions of family and marriage have been changing very rapidly across the last couple of centuries, obviously that dramatically impacts what happens with dating as well. So as we've changed from hunter-gatherers into... Speak for yourself. (laughs) Into uh, more civilised societies, there have been substantial changes to the relationships we have between people, initially the driving factor of of being in a relationship pre social constructs was just to reproduce but yeah so it used to very much be seen as a business arrangement between families and romance was something that happened outside of marriages discreetly and secretly little covert meetings and there was no need to date in middle age times in Europe because you were just forced together willy-nilly but then from as early as the 1700s a movement called the empowerment of the individual began and what with the emancipation of women blah 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 Ugh. <laughs> overcame more room for courtship in the modern world. Dating became a courtship ritual where young women entertained gentlemen callers, usually in the home, under the watchful eye of a chaperone. How awkward would that be? How do you, like, flirt with someone watching you? I can't even take a phone call with a colleague in front of someone. Me neither, yeah. Always have to leave the room. Also, is the chaperone probably most likely... Daddy? Yeah. (laughs) Or mummy. Or like a or that kind of fusty old aunt. Yeah, true. Yes. And what if your date ends up falling in love with a fusty old aunt? Hot. Yeah. Could be <laughs> could be a great relief in some instances. Because yeah. it was always older men then, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, true. 
So, Mr. Wrinkles <laughs> elopes with fusty old aunt. With Mrs. Wrinkles. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to be. <laughs> Madame Wrinkles. <laughs> but yes, and then increasingly in Western countries, it became what we know it as now, where two people arrange their own dates and off you go. It doesn't have to be two. If you're going to get really modern. Um, what, as in two or more? Get me yeah, one. yeah, two or more. <laughs> two or more. Um, but dating still today varies considerably by nation, custom, religious upbringing, access to technology, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously some countries still practice arranged marriages, <laughs> request dowries and forbid same-sex pairings. So dating can be crazy. But I'm going to tell you some cultural differences in countries prefaced with the fact that this is from a website so could be really unreliable and horribly generalizing but i think that's a really good preface for everything we say on this podcast yeah we should put that at the beginning of every (laughs) all of this was found on a website (laughs) and could be horribly generalizing (laughs) (laughs) um uk and us we kind of know the drill so i'm not going to spend any time on them at all we've all been there done that whatever boring brazil Mm. very very into their pda on dates apparently that's like a big way of showing that you're on a successful date is if you're touching and kissing and that kind of thing which i feel like is not the case here um i guess you it depends on the state of inebriation because you do see some people hitting it off and it's thigh and tongue and that's true there's a couple at the pub last night did you see them no oh horrible <laughs> um, India arranged marriages are still not a thing of the past in any way. And the modern twist to that is that there are now also dating apps that are strictly designed for the Indian dating scene, but are controlled by parents who are setting up matches for their children via dating apps. And then once a match happens based on lots of considerations of finance, religion, and all that kind of thing, that's all kind of calculated. And then they pair their children up via an app. Do you know what it's called? I don't know what it's called, I'm afraid. I don't think you need to be looking, you know, <laughs> elsewhere at the moment. You're you're happily in a relationship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point. Well, or perhaps she's not. Grass is always greener. <laughs> <laughs> France, this one made me laugh, that dating in France can be so casual that the French do not even have a word for date, but rather a translation for seeing someone. Because they're all just smooching all over the place. Uh, Russia's good as well. Russia, more old-fashioned. On a date, Russian men are expected to be highly courteous, holding the doors, all that kind of thing. And they bring flowers, which are always in odd numbers, because the beauty of the woman is the final flower in the bouquet. Aww. <laughs> really? I've I've heard that flowers should always be arranged in odd numbers anyway, because oh. they just don't look good in even numbers. Yeah, and... I don't know why, like food photography. I remember yeah. reading a thing about food photography and it's like things should always be odd because your eye gets naturally drawn. You want to have like a middle and interesting edges and not have a gap in the middle. Well, maybe that's the first wrong thing about this website. <laughs> well, or the first wrong thing about Russian dating. Yes. True. And not the last. <laughs> um, Japan, love this. Dating isn't taken lightly, but also isn't massively high on the agenda until later life. And even then, relationships aren't always like the forefront of the minds. Does that mean that they're having children later in Japan? Or is this the... Good question, probably. You get into parenting 
via a different route and then dating is like let your hair down middle age here I come good question one that I can't answer for you with the four lines of this website that I've got (laughs) 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 but it says here that the focus tends to be more on education and career and like making sure you're financially stable and stuff rather than finding a a partner which I think is the emphasis is massively on in the UK yeah sorry on on finding a partner yeah like Mm. even even living alone is I couldn't afford to live on my own right now I would I would like the only way I could afford a one bedroom flat would be living with a partner Mm. it's madness you're not the first person who has said that to me in the past 24 hours really yeah there you go as in no you're not no, as in... As in, really, yeah. it's true. <laughs> really? You're not the first. <laughs> well, I'm glad other people are unhappy as well. Next up. <laughs> <laughs> Just joking. Just joking. Just joking. Um, wait, there was... Oh, Iceland. Now, Marie, I think maybe you might have told me this before. Okay. Because I know that... I feel like I knew this, but I can't think... Maybe I didn't. But because Iceland is so small, dating is not traditionally practiced and one night stands are common but the chances of bumping into someone you know or are related to are so high that there's an app called Icelandigap for incest prevention where when you meet someone you like hold your phones together and the app can tell you whether or not you're related what heavy stuff I'm sure I've heard that before I think I have as well but maybe we heard it from the same source that wasn't me maybe yeah yeah do we know how the app works well, I don't know why I'm fascinated by these apps but um no I don't know how are it you works. starting up a dating app yeah you're doing some you know, market research <laughs> it's for my pinball how exactly does it work what's the but, software that they use but how could is that just that you log in your family tree yeah maybe then, you, maybe you give up maybe you put your records in your birth certificate or something I don't know but imagine if like you're in a bar and you've had let's call it three drinks you're feeling frisky you've met someone you're getting on well, feeling a connection, feeling that spark. You're ready to give them a kiss. And then you just say to each other, hang on a sec, shall we check if we're related? <laughs> and then and then like that's it's almost worth just committing the incest. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> on reflection, maybe not. <laughs> well, I suppose it depends what degree of separation, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> but well, no, yeah, no. Because in so, never, because never. in so many places and times, people would marry cousins and still would, do, and second cousins and stuff. What point would you de- would definitely prevent you from giving someone a kiss? I mean, I wouldn't kiss a cousin. I wouldn't kiss a cousin either. Neither. Yeah, right. <laughs> she said, grinning. <laughs> no, I really wouldn't. I just want to make that clear. Second cousin. <laughs> but my point is. I like the app. The app is a good idea, but then it's just a real bummer, isn't it? Because yeah, to find a- out two things: one, I can't kiss this person, yeah, and two, oh, I fancied my cousin or sibling. Yeah, true. Oof. Bummer all around. Big bummer. Go but- home. Time for bed. Mm. Well, there you go. Those are some some <laughs> cultural dating tips if ever you're going to any of those countries and looking for a date. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was quite surprised to learn this, that Tinder is the most popular dating app in the UK. I don't know why. I, I feel like that's a bit passe. Maybe you're just ahead of the curve. Well, I've also never used a dating app, so that might be why. <laughs> oh, but, so but behind the curve. Yeah. You can't even I'm see I'm a bit passe. <laughs> the reason Tinder might be the most used is because something like Bumble, which is more targeted at women or ha- women having the power, 
probably puts off some men and men must make up the majority of people on dating apps. I reckon it's 50-50. Yeah. But have you guys... Well... Yeah, but we're not good examples. No, you're not good examples. <laughs> if you'd been on Tinder looking for men... It feels like there are a lot more men, although that's weird to say because it's not like I'm yeah, but, looking but you're for women. not looking for yeah. women. Yeah, and also the women that would come up would have to also be women who are looking for women as well. So that immediately makes it a very small pool, as we know. Yeah, yeah. I just also it's like talking to people. I feel like men are always so much more forthcoming on those things. So maybe I've got the impression wrongly that there are more men because they are more active or yeah, proactive maybe. on it. But for example, Marie, if you were using a dating app, you wouldn't see any men. No. So I think it's just what you've got your preferences set to. Yeah, you'd think there was a real but, dearth of men. Or, or what you need to do is look at a straight man's Tinder situation and see, because if you're saying that you think there's more men based on how many like men you see being active on Tinder, you need to look at a man's to see how many women who are being active but on Tinder. But even if you did do such a study, it's difficult. You're not, you can't count how many people there are. But, like, there's but, just endless. But, so the UK is almost split. <laughs> And actually, I used to try and complete Tinder. No, I know, but my point being that I... Exactly. So it probably is 50-50. I wonder. I'm sure the stat is very easily <laughs> easily found. Should we look it up? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And whilst you're looking at that, 50% of single Britons have never asked anyone on a date in person. So <gasps> half the country have never asked anyone on a date. I've never asked anyone on a date. I don't think I have either. I have. <laughs> in person? Yeah. I suppose I've been like we should go for a drink but not maybe thinking of it as a date oh the results are in oh no she looks happy <laughs> yes she does <laughs> 72% of Tinder users are men oh wow. therefore 28 are women 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 yeah swimming women crazy yeah that's I mean well done Gina good uh, nouse yeah that is good nouse <laughs> now so who's used a dating app you haven't yeah you have. I have. Gina? I've used um, Bumble and Tinder. Okay. And what do we make of them? I would say they are incredibly depressing, mm. generally. I had one good date from Bumble and one bad date from Tinder. And I'm sure they work. I can see how they work. And I think the key is if you match with someone, you should meet up as soon as possible because you're not going to get anything out of some yeah. back and forth over an app. Yeah. And then you meet well... up. Well, Marika might disagree. <laughs> Looks like she does. Well, maybe it's just lesbians, I don't know. No, no, different I'm sure vibes. it's not just lesbians. There must be many examples of different ways working. I found the thing ridiculous generally with the apps when I've used them, and for very brief periods because I get quite addicted to apps and then delete them. But I've, I've heard a lot of people say that the, the dating apps are super addictive. Well, like, I'm not joking. I would try to complete them as if they were a game and it was because I'd be like right <laughs> there must be someone attractive in the next hundred swipes so I'd be like tired and wanting to go to sleep and I'd be like no I have to just see someone that's yeah that's vaguely attractive and you'd be 200 in and they're all just minging <laughs> they're all they're all just sort of what should we say CEOs but of what? Not clear. And then, you okay, know, picture yeah. in front of the Taj Mahal and yeah, yeah. they like brunch. Yeah, got you. Got you, got you, got you. And everything starts to feel very much the same. Mm. Yeah. So it kind of puts you to sleep. Yeah. Although I do, obviously, so many people have met partners for life through them. Yeah. And I do think... P 
PFL. PFL, mm. yeah. It is good, but you know the bit that really puts me off, and I think is probably why I've never used one, is that setting up of the profile thing. Oh, God. <laughs> it's, oh, God. It just makes, do you know, you have to, like, confront... Maybe... <laughs> I just even thinking about it makes me want to cry. <laughs> I think that even worse than setting up your profile is opening lines because it doesn't really work to just say hello. So yeah. you have to come up with something that's eye-catching. But not too too overthought. Yeah, it has to be off the cuff or at least seem it. But then because of that, you get people using horrific opening lines. Like, hey, little lady, where'd you get your poo? <laughs> I think I used that for someone. <laughs> I think I said to someone, would you rather eat a poo or go for a drink with me? And he said... Eat a poo? Said, go for a drink. And, and he went for a drink with me. So it worked. Oh, my God. Was that man Theo? No. <laughs> oh, my word. Was it a successful date? Yeah, it was. Did you go for multiple dates? No, he was on holiday from America. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Eat a poo. <laughs> Sorry, Eat a poo. Oh, my word. That's so funny. So to summarise, dating's crazy. Good luck out there. Apps are good if you like them. Don't have to use them if you don't. I'm going to be talking about dreams... Actually, just whilst we start, if, did either of you have a good dream last night? I just want to know straight off the bat. Yes, I can't remember. I'm thinking meat patties, but <laughs> okay, but I can't give you any more detail. <laughs> That's fine. That's all I needed, really. Um, <laughs> no. Well, okay. So well, your meat patties was um, one of potentially <laughs> three. <to laughs> Why? Why? I cannot be answerable to the inner workings of my brilliant mind. No, no, I think it's (laughs) fantastic. Um, Yeah, so Meet Patties was um, potentially one of three to six dreams that you might have had last night, which we apparently all have every night. (laughs) Please stop looking. Just thinking of someone introducing me to uh, two women called Patty. Do you know meat patties? (laughs) (laughs) You really? (laughs) Um, Right. Anyway, um, so on average we have three to six streams per night and they are about five to 20 minutes each. Wowzers. But you forget 95% of your dreams by the time that you get out of bed. It takes about 10 minutes for you to lose all of that. As you wake up, yeah. it like dissolves. Yeah, so you wake up and the first five minutes you still have about like 60% of it or something and then another five minutes goes by and then by the end of that you've got 95%. So the idea is that you get out of bed after 10 minutes apparently. But you can strengthen that by doing stuff like writing them down immediately and things um, and you can remember them better. I've heard that you do almost all of your dreaming in like the 10 minutes before you wake up. Well, there are five stages of sleep. Okay. That was like we practised it. <laughs> <laughs> You're my plant in the crowd. Um, there, yeah. So there's five stages of sleep. The first three are pretty boring. It's just like gradually getting deeper and deeper, and they're each about twenty percent, I think, of your entire night's sleep. Well, actually, no, one of them was only five percent. But it's just like, oh, these things called delta waves in your brain that are really slow brain waves start to like 
you get more and more and you start to kind of drift off. But stage four is like a very, 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 very deep sleep, which is only 12 to 15% of your total sleep. And that's where you're basically like kind of impossible to wake up. Your whole body is just like completely relaxed. Your breathing's really slow. And then after that is when you hit rapid eye movement, REM, which is the famous one. And that's 20% of your sleep time. And that's where you start breathing quicker. Your eyes obviously are jerking rapidly around and your limb muscles become temporarily paralyzed as that's happening. And that's when guys get boners. So I guess that is the bit before you wake up because the whole concept of like morning wood. And that is the section where dreams occur. So it's in that 20% of your overall sleep that you're dreaming, which is pretty wild because when you wake up, you really feel like the entire time you've been out you've been out and about totally yeah crazy and if you yeah vi- like vivid dreams are so discombobulating or can be like I've had dreams where I've woken up normally about having an argument with a friend or like yeah. something like that and been like oh god I really don't want to have to sort that out or like and it can impact your whole day because you feel like it's actually real yeah 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 I've woken up before thinking that I have had a massive fallout with one of my friends and it took me like almost halfway through the day to then be like hang on a fucking minute and like, it just was completely from a dream that I'd had the night before. I've actually had that with you quite a few times recently. <laughs> Have you? Yeah. No way. <laughs> oh no. I've had dreams that we've had these fights and I've woken up just feeling quite weirdly angry with you. And then <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I realised. Oh my God. That, um, guys, something to sort out here. Yeah. Bit of fazza. I Shout knew your morning ladies were tinged with hate. No, it's only <laughs> happened like twice in the last six months, I swear. So yeah, um... Dreams, hey, crazy things. Throughout history, they've been like viewed in very different ways. But what have we got here? Middle Ages, they were thought to be the travels of our souls outside our bodies during the night. That's and, nice. Um, which kind of makes sense. That's, yeah, I like you know, that. if you're If you're a, a spiritual person, that's probably how you would think of it anyway. And then also certain church authorities preached that the devil was responsible for dreams, which is, I don't know, maybe because we do sinful things mm. in our dreams that we can't control. Hell, I know I do. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, that would be the devil doing that. And then um, lots of ancient civilizations, Greeks and Egyptians, etc., believed that gods could communicate with you through dreams and that they would predict the future. Oh, yeah. This is a fun thing. Have you guys ever heard like music in your dreams or anything like that? I mean, it's, I guess it's quite a hard one to remember. I don't remember hearing music. Because there's situations like... Um, with Paul McCartney of the Beatles. Sir mm. <laughs> Paul. Sir Paul. Um, he heard yesterday, the melody for yesterday, in a dream. And then he was so convinced when he woke up, he kept hearing it in his head and he was so convinced that it had already existed because he dreamt it that he didn't write it for a while, for like a few weeks, because he just thought it was already a song. And then when he realised that it wasn't, he sat down and wrote yesterday, which is arguably one of the most successful songs. How cool is that? That is very And cool. also, I think Let It Be was also dreamt up as well because his deceased mother, who was called Mary, came to him in a dream and was like saying all this stuff to him and he put it into a song the next day. So, Aww. Which is quite cool. I have had dreams where I've come up with melodies and I've woken up and recorded them into my phone. And in the dream, it's like I've written this fantastic song. I think Elton John's been involved, you know, that kind of vibe. And then I wake up 
record it on the phone and in the morning I listen back and it's like <laughs> so not quite on Sir Paul's level yet but I'm sure I'll catch up I've had that with like film plots I wake up and I'm like oh my god I've just written the most incredible story with a huge unexpected twist at the end and I, I write it down and then the twist is like man in coat <laughs> just one small detail that in the dream is like whoa Scorsese you better get over here <laughs> it's nice that I think our brains are trying to be creative though even whilst we're asleep obviously I've been trying to work I've been doing research into like what dreams really are like if there's any scientific way that we can look at them and what's really going on in that brain of ours you know whilst we're asleep and um, I started off looking up about that whole theory that you can't dream about a person's face that doesn't exist mm because apparently the human brain is not capable of coming up with a face that doesn't exist. Like it has to be either an amalgamation or someone you've walked past in the street. So they will feel like a stranger, but they're not truly a stranger. So apparently that's not actually been proven. There's not really a way of proving it because the parameters are so wide. You know, how many people do you walk past in a day? Like how can you prove any of that at any point really? How can you see... Sorry. <laughs> now can you see? How can you see? No. How can how can you see inside someone's dream? <laughs> She's malfunctioning again. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly, exactly. So you You'd can't. Just, what they've so basically that can't be proved, but it's very likely because dreams. There's a quote here from a, a, a sleep researcher who says sleep is not creating but merely recombining, possibly in original ways, what has been previously stored in memory. So what you have is this idea that sleep and dreaming are purely to consolidate new memories. So it's just taking in information and it's moving it to different parts of the brain where they go into either like the long-term memory bank or the short-term memory bank and all of that. So you will experience stuff during the day that goes into your hippocampus and then as you sleep it gets moved into the cortex, which is the long-term storage part of the brain. But when it's doing this it can basically activate existing memory circuits that are already there because it's effectively traffic going through. You know, if a car's going along the street that's headlights on, it's going to wake up a few things on the way, I suppose. Um, so when these things are activated, they're kind of waking up as new information is also going in. So for example, right, you might have had a day where you and a friend, so Jelly and Gina, you're going to a Lady Gaga concert and you're getting there in an Uber, right? So that's what you did that day. Lovely. Enjoying myself already. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so Jelly, you go to sleep that night and this new memory is being processed, but there's going to be related memories. So remember that time that you and Gina watched The Lion King together? Fondly. Yeah, because <laughs> that it did happen. Um, and then that time that you were really drunk and you threw up in an Uber? Fondly. <laughs> <laughs> so those memories might then be triggered because they're going to be in the same areas of the brain where these new memories are going in. So that could like end up being a dream, which could be about you going to a safari park with Lady Gaga and you can't stop being sick. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like because it's, it. it's whipping up these other strange connections with new information. And it's you're processing all of that at the same time whilst you're asleep, which is a really cool way of looking at it, I think. I quite like it when it gets very sciencey and things like recurring dreams, which so I find strange. interesting. Do you guys have any recurring dreams? Yeah. Hit me with it. I have two. Yeah. One of which is so easily explained, which is always 
being about to go on stage with you yeah. and either something breaks. Actually, it's normally always that I then have to play a long scale bass, which I've never played before. Or stand the standard bass. By the way, but for listeners that, that don't know, know short scale, yeah. <laughs> Jelly plays sax, so obviously. <laughs> it's a big jump. Oh, yeah, of course. The littler ones are not standard. No. Well, I knew that, whatever. And, <laughs> or I've forgotten everything, and your parents are always there. My parents? Yeah, it's always that your parents are then going to be cross with me for letting down your show. <laughs> that's, that's one that I have almost every time before rehearsals or a show. Yeah. And then, but my unexplainable one which I started getting when I was really little and still get occasionally now but much less so it was all centred around my granny's garden her, the house that she had when I was growing up and it was me and my cousin and my granny had a like good friend called Barbara Hare and the entire dream is me and my cousin Dan trying to run away from Barbara Hare who's gone mad and is trying to kill us with a shotgun and the dream ends with Dan getting shot and him dying across my lap and I wake up feeling the warmth of his blood. That's how I wake up every time. It's so weird. That is bizarre. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. Oh my God. And I've had it. I think it was because maybe when I was really, really tiny, I fell into a swimming pool and none of the adults had noticed. And Dan dived in. And, yeah. And <laughs> Dan dived in. <laughs> and got me out. And I, I, was like, I, I would have just drowned. It's classic. Absolutely terrible parenting. Um, and... Then there's always like a joke about him being damn my hero, and I wonder whether maybe that was maybe it comes from that in some way. I want to know more about Barbara Hare, not Dan. Me too. And her shotgun. Yeah, I, I, I think maybe I can't even remember what she. Looks Will Barbara like now. be listening? I think Barbara might be dead. <gasps> the plot thins. <laughs> <laughs> Rest in peace, Barb. <laughs> Fascinating, Marie. Mm. Could you have any? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have quite a few, but I, my main, my main one is uh, that I will just be in a room, and then I'll notice somewhere in the room there'll be one spider, oh, and no. once I've noticed the one spider, I'll suddenly notice another spider, and then I'll notice another one, and then I'll basically look up, and there will just be spiders kind of everywhere, and they'll all start kind of dropping down, and I'll have to try to escape from the room that I'm in. Oh, that's which horrible. is horrible. Yeah. I also have a lot of dreams about escaping from giant squid. Oh, and the other one that's very common is that I'm trying to find a toilet, and every time, <laughs> oh, that's and sad. I really need a wee. Because you like, do you have that in real life. I have that. I have quite a lot of like peeing anxiety, and then I get out me. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no, no, it's fine. get out me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm trying to find the lose and for some reason there'll always be a reason why I can't use them like they'll be broken or all the doors will be off and there'll be loads of people in there and there'll just be like shit everywhere or something oh. horrible and I'm like bursting for a wee it's really horrible Sounds I think like it's when I need a wee in the classic night. stress dream yeah it is and that actually is one of the main ones and there's I, the, there's three as in for, for everyone yeah there's like there's communal there's like there was a list of like 50 and I was like I've had probably like 20 of these oh, dreams oh really really um, but the most googled dreams about um, ones are teeth falling out which is one that you mentioned oh, yeah. the other day which I've never had actually but I, I've just heard about it yeah I've had that one I have really weird really? ones with my teeth yeah um, being pregnant and snakes those are the top three those are the top three and yeah. I've had all three of those being pregnant yeah but I've definitely had the snakes and the preggers 
Yeah. What snakes? What's the snakes? Well, snakes one? is obviously a very phallic symbol, so it can be a lot to do with mm. um and and sex. It can be about your like how you perceive sort of your sexual being at that time. And but the thing I just find interesting about sex dreams, like I have them quite often, and they're always like really disgusting. I actually had one last night. It's always with men, and obviously, I'm gay, so it's it feels quite strange to have like these arousing and disturbing interactions in my sleep with men. My favourite one was that I had a dream about um, Adam Sandler in a pink satin robe lying on a leopard print sofa and his penis was sort of very thin and long and like <laughs> jutting out at a very awkward angle and it was like the most... Sounds like a classic Adam Sandler movie. It does. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, it was really hot. It's like I don't find this attractive at all um, and it was quite... I mean, I took it to my therapist. Um, very strange, um, but that one really stuck out in my mind. Um, have you had any funky sex dreams, either of you? I'm uh, sure you must have. We've all had them. So many. Yeah. So many. I don't get that many, actually. I'd say... <laughs> two, two nights ago, I had a very exciting dream about some <laughs> some nice farmer boys. <laughs> <laughs> with a meat patty. That was the meat patty. Is this where the meat patty? No, come it's not. From? Actually, maybe the trajectory of my dreams this week has been the production line of meat patties. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I was going to do Dionysus when we were originally discussing our D's, mm-hmm. but then I thought, <laughs> don't, don't tell them about that. <laughs> But I didn't want to be a bore, and um, and Dionysus is very interesting. But I knew I couldn't really do that justice, and I don't think I can necessarily do drinking justice. <laughs> I believe in you. I Thank believe you. in you. There is so much to cover though with drinking because I mean we all do it. Well, we don't all do it. Some people very much don't do it, but it's such a huge part of our <laughs> culture, and it's such a weird thing that is so normal mm. and you're talking specifically about drinking alcohol oh yeah sorry <laughs> not just drinking. imbibing <laughs> yeah uh, no drinking alcohol yeah um, and I was actually inspired to change my D to drinking after watching a very wonderful film two nights ago called Another Round which is a Danish film I think you know I'm in the presence of two drinkers yes mm-hmm. you are yeah within reason let's <laughs> just talk about history the history of drinking <laughs> Does anybody know the earliest known records of alcoholic beverages? Ooh, very, 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 very old, surely. Yeah, actually, probably it's way older than we have any records of, but the earliest known evidence is from about 7,000 BC in China, and that was some kind of concoction made of rice, millet, grapes and honey. Apparently. What was sort of going on around that time? Bit of context. Oh, you test not, me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My seven thousand BC history is not that great. Okay, because I think it's around three thousand, four thousand BC that the Minoans were kicking about okay. near Greece mm-hmm. in Crete. So I don't know much from before then. Fair enough. Just because I'm a knowing, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then there's more evidence of drinks from um, Mesopotamia and Egypt and, you know, all of those classic old places from from like 5000 BC, 4000, 3000. The Greeks, the ancient Greeks, drank a lot of wine, as mm. did the ancient Romans, but you may know that when they drank wine then, and they would drink it at breakfast and lots of it and at symposia their kind of drinks parties it was in 
diluted form. So you'd have one part wine to one part water or sometimes one part wine to four parts water. So... Like juice. Is that having a Ribena? Like squash, yeah. Was it much stronger though? Or or are we talking sort of like, you know... That's a good question. I don't know if it was stronger, but if it wasn't, it makes you think, good grief, the amount of wine (laughs) that we drink now is madness. Yeah. Frankly. Unless you're having a spritzer. But talking about strength of alcohol, I'd like to talk about the gin craze. (laughs) Have you heard of the gin craze? No. No. So this is incredible stuff. Brace yourselves. In 1700, I believe, gin suddenly became widely available in London. And this was for a few slightly complex reasons that I don't understand relating to the taxation of grain and our relations with the Dutch. But basically, up until that point, spirits weren't really available other than to the very, very rich. And all of a sudden you could get gin anywhere. And because up until this point, ale was the drink of choice and it was mostly drunk in ale houses, which were largely the domain of men. Women had drunk beer, but not not in public so much and it wasn't really you know the women's thing to do but when gin came in because it had no social norms attached to it there were no rules around it everyone (laughs) was drinking gin and there were no rules and people were serving it in pint glasses (gasps) and it was double the strength that it is now so wait hang on but still still diluted with something else or a pint of gin well, that's a good Neat question. Gin. I think my understanding from the four lines on this website <laughs> was that it was neat gin. Shit. But maybe it was with me. something. But still, a pint, even if it is if, like a pint of gin and tonic. Well, so this labourer, farm labourer from outside of London, I think, yeah, it was much more available in London. So obviously this farm labourer who's used to drinking pints of nice weak ale yeah. out in the sticks came to London and some Londoners said, we'll give you a penny for every pint of gin you can drink. Oh. And he drank three pints and dropped dead. Yeah, that would do it. I'm impressed he got to three. Yeah. I guess it depends how quickly you did it, because if you just went bosh, 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 you, uh, I mean... Uh, surely, surely you would die after a pint of gin. But I think, like Gina's saying, if you, how quick can you down a pint? Like, if you can down a pint really quickly, I think you could down it, down it, down it, and then as soon as it's, you give it a couple of minutes to hit your system... Well, bam. Yeah, yeah. It's got to get in the blood. Oh, God, that makes me feel really sick. Yeah. yeah, it's very scary. And and I think this was a like chaotic time because... Sounds like it. Because <laughs> they were all absolutely hammered. Well, also because in the early 1700s, lots of people from rural parts of England moved to London looking for work and they got here and there wasn't really any work available. And there weren't any structures to look after poorer people. Like in villages and more rural areas, you'd have systems where people would take care of each other or you'd be near your family and friends. And all these people arrived in London without work, without anyone they knew, no support systems, and there was just gin. And (laughs) it was also um, (laughs) before the Industrial Revolution and cloth was still very expensive so people were literally selling the shirts off their backs to get gin and there's this very sad story about a woman called Judith Defoe 
she had a baby, but she didn't seem to have a husband. No one knew of who the father of the child was. And um, her child was taken into care. And the people looking after the child bought it. It might have been the parish or something that was looking after the child. They bought it a new set of clothes. And Judith came to take her child out one Sunday to, you know, see her kid and take it out for the day. And she killed her child and sold the clothes for gin. Oh, my God. Wow. Poor Judith. Is that why it's called Mother's Ruin? I think that might be something to do with it. And I think that slightly led to the temperance movement of people who were advocating for no drinking at all. Right. Teetotalers. Rum rations on ships. Sailors were given a ration of rum a day. I think it was about a fifth of a pint each, maybe slightly smaller. And it was marked down in a book who had who took their rum and it was called grog like drink was called grog so you got a g if you took your rum and if you didn't take it it was t for teetotal and you got given some shillings instead so oh. it was like a little payment if you didn't drink you got some money what would you take the rum yeah i was thinking if you were on a boat in like 1854 say yeah <laughs> The rum ration would be the highlight of your day. Completely. Yeah, like you would be entirely focused on the rum. Yeah. Because there's not much else apart from it's the sea. Pretty horrible, horrible vibes. Mm. Yeah, absolutely not for me. Mm-mm. Do people in colder countries drink more? Uh, fact. It is fact, yeah. They did a study. It had always been suspected. Well, Finland's got a very high... Uh, alcoholism rate. It's also not just colder countries like Russia, Finland, even hell, the UK, but also... Even hell? <laughs> I don't think <laughs> hell's, hell's cold. quite warm. <laughs> no, hell's overheated. Um, but states of the US, like Wisconsin... Yeah. Um, well, they all run around the same latitude. Right. I think, about. Makes sense. That northern US, southern Canada vibe is the same as northern Europe. Mm. Fact or fiction, throwing up helps you sober up. Fact. False. Oh. Fiction, I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on, there's a third option. I'm (laughs) drunk. No, your body absorbs alcohol from your drinks very quickly. So unless you throw up within a few minutes of imbibing, you're going to be drunk, ladies. But I swear it's helped me. No, because I didn't know this, but I was told when I discovered this that throwing up releases chemicals in your body that make you feel better but that's separately to Uh, you sobering that's a different thing and I haven't explored that so don't quote me on all those years of tactical chundering gone to waste not gone to waste because at least you feel better maybe it should be called a comfort chundler chundler (laughs) chundler chundler bing chundler bing Mr Chandler. chandler I don't think I have ever made myself throw up Oh my god! Uh, unless it was the next day, perhaps, and I was like feeling just so sick that I thought, "Get it out, get it out of me." I'm like Chanda Majora, but some people, but quite often, I'm Chanda Menorah. <laughs> <laughs> Little and often, no, not often, <laughs> not often enough. <laughs> next one, Gina. Um, final fact or fiction: alcohol kills brain cells. Fact. Fact. False, it does not. It can impair how well your brain functions, but unless you're a chronic and heavy drinker, you're not doing brain damage. So, Marika, watch (laughs) out. So, I don't know how to segue into this bit because I just want to talk about funny things 
that have happened when you're drunk. But does anybody have any drink horror stories? I'm sure we all do. We're all very cool. Um, <laughs> but anything that springs to mind that you've done drunk that's well, the, the first, utterly ludicrous? The first time I got really, really drunk I was when I was like 16 and I was at a friend's house and is why I can't drink whiskey to this day. With it. it was me and one other friend and then like eight boys and we were trying to kind of keep up with the boys and show off for sure which obviously you do by drinking a lot and uh, just drank so much whiskey that I think to date it's still the drunkest I've ever been and fell out of a window from from Don't the really, first floor it was like an, an annex like Oof. vibe so it was quite low to the ground but enough of a fall that I had blood all down my front when I woke up mm. and don't have any recollection really of getting home in so many ways deeply horrifying and awful and just not something you should ever do and then went into the loo next to my room the next day and it was just me and my mum in the house and I was like god who has thrown up all over the bathroom like what the hell and then my mum was like obviously you because it wasn't me and you were like whatever and I had just no recollection of it whatsoever and then yeah horrible had to clean up all my own vomit quite rightly so Horrible, actually. <laughs> I can't think of anything I've done that's particularly sort of funny. There's been a lot of just sort of falling over in silly ways. And mm. there was a night where we don't know to this day who threw up in the bed. Oh, yeah. I still really don't think it was me. Yeah, was that yeah. recent? It definitely wasn't me. Like four years ago. Mm. I don't like getting very, very drunk, though. Um, no. What kind of drunk are you? I would say generally just quite silly and happy. But if I'm in a bit of a tired or slightly depressive mood then I'll just go very quiet I would say yeah jelly I think generally silly but I do think I tend to seek out the drama when I'm drunk a little bit <laughs> very more yeah I, I think so I, I, I can be quite dramatic it's just such a funny thing that uh, if I may this description of Dionysus himself the god of wine but it's actually just quite a good description of alcohol fittingly he's the spirit of the unthinking physical enjoyment of the instinctive group personality of anti-intellectual energy in him are mingled joy and horror insight and madness innocent gaiety and dark cruelty Ooh. there's a lot of scope yeah when yeah. you open the booze and it's just funny that we do it so willingly and then forget all of the bad stuff about it like for something that has bad results every time yeah. even if it's just a hangover it's completely crazy that we do it so often yeah yeah but then I think you know sometimes sometimes you have a hangover and you're like oh what was the point why did I do that this is so stupid I'm going to quit drinking for ages and have a detox and I'm so dumb and then sometimes you have a hangover and you're like that was totally worth it yeah and i don't true. even mind those hangovers that you're like this is actually weirdly kind of enjoyable now that i know that it was worth feeling a bit of pain the next day and now i can just really lean into that and go and just watch tv and yeah mcdonald's and stuff mm. yeah those days are nice those are the those are the bits that There's keep that. you going you know keep you young i think it is really normalized in for me a lot of work plus social life a lot of it revolves around being in places that sell alcohol at least yeah. and then it feels sometimes more of an effort not to drink. Yeah. If that makes yeah. sense. I find that actually more in relation to slightly formal stuff like work or yeah. a thing where you don't know people. Like, 
I find with colleagues, it can often be a sort of, oh, what are you drinking? In a very kind of David Brenty way. Yeah. People get scared that they don't have anything else to talk about. Yeah. And, and, and it just relaxes you. And sort a of bit. talk about how many drinks they've had. And mm. But I think some people definitely find that if someone's not drinking, they then feel awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or scared of them being drunk, which actually I think. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And I've been on the both sides of that. Not like. You know, sometimes, sometimes I don't drink. I did dry January once or twice yeah. and, and then get so smug, like, oh, like three weeks of no drinking. I feel fantastic and I don't need to drink. But then you do experience that thing of people being like, oh, you're not having a drink. Yeah. And you feel like slightly wrongly like a party pooper. Yeah, totally. Um, but then when you are drinking and someone's not having a drink, it's not that you think, oh, you're a party pooper, but you feel slightly like, oh, am I doing something that I shouldn't be. Mm, 100%, yeah. yeah. So, interesting. Mm. To drink or not to drink? Mm. That is the question. And on that note, I think it's time to say goodbye. 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 Thanks for listening to episode D with Gina, Marika and Jelly. Join us next week where we'll be examining eels, extracting earthworms and exploring etymology. And you can follow us on Instagram at A is for podcast. A is for, A is for.